Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. Hope everyone's been hanging in there and everyone's geared up now. Just a little bit over a week away from opening day here. It's a little bit different than we thought it would be, but we're going to have baseball, live baseball, real baseball, in just over a week. The Marlins are going to be new-looked this year. We know that, and they're going to be a lot more competitive, more fun to watch, as we've seen from the clips from summer camp or spring training 2.0, whatever you want to call it. A lot of the young Marlins players are really impressing, whether it's Monte Harrison, Luis Diaz, Pablo Lopez has apparently looked as good as ever on the mound, so excited to see what he can do in a regular season, if he can hopefully stay healthy. And I think that leads us into a perfect time to talk about the Marlins opening day lineup, but not just the opening day lineup, what kind of lineups they can deploy throughout this 60-game season. Because the Marlins have a lot of depth with their bench in terms of guys that they can put in the lineup versus a southpaw, and then probably a much different looking lineup against a right-handed pitcher. And the defensive alignment is also very important as well, because the Marlins have so many different players that can play multiple positions which is a good thing, but also you want to make sure that you're playing each of those guys at the best spot for the Marlins to be the most effective defensively. And I'll start, I guess, with the opening day lineup. But before I get into that, just a reminder, if you might have saw on my Twitter, that we're going back to daily episodes. So you can expect these episodes every single day for the remainder of the season, which is really exciting because I'm just really pumped to be able to bring insight every single day, especially after a game, what I saw, we can talk about those things, I can answer questions, there's going to be so much to discuss, especially with some players making their debuts, if Luan Diaz gets the call up, Sixto, Niter, there's going to be so many things that happen in this jam-packed 60-game season, we're going to have a lot of fun in these daily podcasts, it's going to be really cool to be the only daily Marlins podcast where Hopefully, I'll be able to talk about the things you guys want to hear about right after they happen, and that's the whole point of this daily show, Uh, and that's something that I'm really looking forward to. So I'll get into what I think the most effective and most productive Marlins lineup and defensive alignment would look like. I'm not saying that this is what it will be, but based on my research, the advanced stats, the regular stats, the surface stats, the eye, eye test, if I were the Marlins manager... This is what I would put together. Of course, not being at practice every day is a huge hiccup in trying to put together a lineup like this. But based on just the history of some of these players defensively and based on where they hit in the lineup historically the best, I put this lineup together and I think that this would make the most sense for the Marlins. And I'll tell you why. I'll start with Jonathan VR in the leadoff spot. I don't think there's too much to refute that other than if you want to utilize his power a little bit more and put him second or third. Ultimately, with the speed that he has, the only other player that could match or is faster than him is Monte Harrison in the lineup right now. And Monte is probably not ready for the leadoff spot if he's going to be in this opening day lineup. So for me, VR is the obvious leadoff hitter to start it off. If you're wondering why I have him at DH... I will explain that when I get to the defensive alignment, but right now I'm going to start with just why they're batting where in the order. So that is leadoff Jonathan VR at DH. Garrett Cooper batting second. And this was a tough spot for me. I wanted to put Corey Dickerson there. I thought about it, but I'll tell you why I think Garrett Cooper makes more sense in the two-hole. Aside from the fact that he did most of his damage in the two spot last year, meaning he was the most effective there. A 295, 365 slash line with an 832 OPS 
in the two spot. And this was a pretty large sample size of him batting second. If the Marlins were as power stricken as they were last year in their lineup, I would probably consider putting Cooper in the middle of the order just for opportunities to drive in more runs. But now that the Marlins were able to acquire some more power with guys like Corey Dickerson and Jesus Aguilar in the middle of the lineup, potentially Monte Harrison, I think the pressure for Cooper to drive in runs is not as great. But ultimately, the deciding factor for me was the on-base percentage because Jonathan VR is a very unique type of leadoff hitter. The game has shifted towards a power-hitting leadoff hitter. We've seen that with guys like Mookie Betts, Matt Carpenter, Francisco Lindor. If you look at the historic OPS Plus or WRC Plus of the leadoff hitter, it is drastically increased over the last 10 years and is continuing to climb. I think it'll probably plateau soon because so many power hitters are hitting leadoff now. Ronald Acuna, to name another, and there's several others, and that's why VR makes a lot of sense now. But he also has the tendency to strike out a little bit. It's not egregious, but he always hovers around the 25% range. And for a leadoff hitter, that's not optimal. Again, like I said, with the game shifting towards more power at the top of the order at the one or two spot, you can get away with it a little bit more. But I think that makes it even more important to have a two hitter that gets on base. And Garrett Cooper with the 365 on base percentage in the two spot and overall probably one of the best and most efficient guys at getting on base in the Marlins lineup. It balances out the VR strikeout rate a little bit at the top of the order, and I think that's important because Corey Dickerson, the other guy who could probably bat second here, would be a guy that doesn't walk very much. You know, he's routinely around the bottom of the league and free passes. He has gotten a little bit better in that regard. He used to hover around 5%, which is not good. It's climbed a little bit to 6-7%, which is just below league average. I think he's able to hover around the league average at times. But I'll take the guy that gets on base at a well above average clip with Garrett Cooper and save Dickerson for the middle of the order. Brian Anderson was another candidate that could bat second. But strangely, last year, he just really struggled in the two spot. Hit 196 batting second. And that was also in a decent amount of at-bats. So the Marlins moved him from there and kept him in the middle of the order, preferably the three spot for him. And that'll lead me right into Brian Anderson, who I have batting third and playing third. And he did most of his damage in the three spot. And he got really hot in the second half, unfortunately got hurt and couldn't finish out the last about 20-something games or so. But in the three hole last year, 834 OPS, nine home runs. I think Brian Anderson is continuing to find his power stroke. His launch angle has continued to improve, and it's something that I think will continue to improve with Jim Rousen, something that he Rousen did really well with the Twins and turned that team into the record-setting home run squad that they were last year. That's something that I think he can unlock a little bit more with Brian Anderson. So you put B.A. third, and that's where he did his damage last year. Keep him away from the two-hole for whatever reason. He hates it. And then cleanup. Cleanup was another tough one because Corey Dickerson's a candidate. You could make the case for Jesus Aguilar. But with Aguilar being a bounce-back candidate, while I do think he could bounce back, I don't want a bounce-back candidate starting the season in the cleanup spot. I'm going to put Corey Dickerson there. He does not have a lot of experience in the cleanup spot. Which did make me a little bit hesitant, but the cool thing about Corey Dickerson is his ability to manipulate his swing. He said time and time again, and I've mentioned it on the podcast in the past, that he is able to add more, meaning go for a little bit more power at times, or take a little bit off and hit for more average at times, and you can see it throughout the history of his numbers. 
whether he is hitting more in the middle of the order and trying to hit for more power or trying to hit for more average. I think he's found a good balance of the two a little bit more now, but he is a guy that is constantly adjusting, and I think he could settle in really well to the four spot with the Marlins there. And I want to keep him at the top of the order because he's just is going to be one of the best, if not the best, offensive players on this squad this year, barring some sort of major surprise one way or the other with him or some other ball players. But that leads me into the number five spot, which I will put Jesus Aguilar. I do think that you need to put Aguilar in a position for success. So the cleanup spot is a little bit too important early on. You want to take advantage of those RBI opportunities. You want to get Corey Dickerson up in the first inning, potentially, if VR or Cooper or Anderson gets on base. But I do like Aguilar in a five hole because that's a really safe spot for a hitter. You're going to get up to the plate quite often with runners on base, whether it's the first or second inning, and you're going to have a lot of RBI opportunities, but also Aguilar is not going to get pitched around like crazy because I have Monte Harrison right behind him at six. And if Harrison is swinging the bat, well, you are not going to want to put on Aguilar to face Harrison. And the bottom of the Marlins order is no slouch because I like Harrison in the sixth spot because Harrison, ultimately, he's not ready for the top of the order. I just don't want to subject him to that just yet. We saw with Eisen Diaz, who I'll get to next, uh, he's a little bit deeper in the lineup. But with Eisen, he really struggled when he was in the top of the order last year. And I know everybody's different, but with prospects who have a little bit of a strikeout history, I don't like to start them in the top of the order just because they're going to see more strikeout stuff and they're going to really just be pitched to a little bit differently. I want to put Monte Harrison in a position for success. That doesn't mean the bottom of the order because I still want him to have the opportunity to drive in runs, and I don't want him to almost get pitched around in a different way at the bottom of the order, which we saw happen with Lewis Brinson when he was batting eighth. While their pitcher is no longer a factor in the batting order, which should make that a little bit easier in terms of the concern of putting somebody eighth because you want them to see more fastballs and pitches to hit. It's still just, I like him in the sixth spot, personally. Some of it's almost just comfort for me. I think it just makes sense because of that rare combination of power and speed that you're able to balance everything out. You got Viara Speedster at one, then not the fastest guys in the world at two, three, four, five. So back to a Speedster at six, Alfaro can move at seven, and then Miguel Rojas rounding it out at nine, who I'll get to after, is another guy with some above average to average running ability. I just like to spread out the speed a little bit, keeps things more interesting, and challenges the defense a little bit more. That's going to be a good spot for Harrison off the bat. Then if he's able to hit really well, then he's a candidate maybe for the leadoff spot, and then you can move VR into a different spot, or you could move one or those or two of those guys as a one-two punch at the top of the order if Harrison shows he's capable of it. But I like the speed and power combo in the sixth spot. Seven is Jorge Alfaro. Don't have much to say about putting him seventh other than the fact that it makes more sense than putting him eighth or ninth. Could be a really good opportunity for the Marlins to have some power, some home run power in the bottom third of their lineup. And I like that with Jorge Alfaro there. Then after Alfaro would be Aizen Diaz. We know the potential that Aizen Diaz has. He has not shown that he's comfortable in the big leagues yet, so I want to put him in a little bit more of a cushy spot in the eight hole. And the numbers show that he was much more comfortable in the eight hole. He struggled last year. That's a no secret there, but how much more he struggled in the two spot versus the six spot, for example, and I know six is still ahead of eight, but in the two spot last year, and this was in an equal amount of games, by the way, a 389 OPS when he batted second 
versus a 757 OPS when he batted sixth? The answer is clear. Keep Eisen Diaz at the bottom of the order. Let him get comfortable. And again, another guy at the bottom of the order that packs a punch. If you are happy to get through the top of the Marlins order, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, some lethal batting order, but it is sneaky balanced if you do it this way, in my opinion, because even if you get through the power at the top of the order, and not that anybody's a 40 home run threat in the full season, but you can make the case that almost every single guy in this order can put the ball out at any given moment. I know you could say any big leaguer can do that, but I'm talking about like a full season. You can make the case that every player in this lineup has the potential to hit 15 plus home runs besides maybe Miguel Rojas, which is a pretty cool thing to be able to say about your lineup and a very representative of how balanced it is. So you have a guy in eyes and Diaz who, if he hits his potential is a 280 to 285 hitter with a 350 on base and can hit you 20 home runs in the eighth spot. That's great. And similar with Monte, if Eisen shows that he can really hit at this level, maybe you move him up to the seven or six spot. But for now, it doesn't really seem like there's any rush to move him from this eight spot, especially with nine batters in the lineup, meaning no pitcher with the DH. Because Miguel Rojas in the nine spot, I love. And Diaz didn't bat eighth last year, I'm assuming, because the Marlins wanted him to see more fastballs, see more pitches to hit. And when you bat eighth, You'll often get pitched around so that the you know with two outs, you just go after the pitcher instead. Now Diaz gets a chance to see more pitches to hit because you're not going to put the eight hitter on to now face Rojas, who was mostly a leadoff hitter for the Marlins last year, and then back to the top of the order for the Marlins. And I like in the nine spot, I like to think of the nine spot as a second leadoff hitter, and that's exactly what Rojas could be in the nine spot. Great back control, gets on base at a decent clip above average to average to above average speed, but he was really good in the leadoff spot last year for the Marlins. Jonathan VR is a much more productive and explosive leadoff hitter. So you put him at one, but Rojas at nine is like that second leadoff hitter, like I said, and it's just a nice compliment to VR and could make for a lot of RBI opportunities still for the middle of the Marlins order, even more so now. So I like that big time to keep Rojas there. And on the other side of the break, I will tell you about the defensive alignment, which I did a lot of research on in terms of the advanced statistics of it and some of the experience that some of these guys have at each position. Real quick, something I forgot to mention that also factors into the lineups too. Assuming Luan Diaz now maybe makes the squad, that would change things a little bit. Maybe he's a platoon guy with Aguilar. If the Marlins are facing a southpaw, there's no shot Matt Joyce is going to be in the lineup. But if one of the Marlins outfielders is struggling, you could see, you know, maybe against a right-hander that Matt Joyce gets those starts because he's expected to see a decent amount of playing time, but in his career is below the Mendoza line against Southpaws. There's no reason for Matt Joyce to get a single at bat against a Southpaw unless you absolutely have to off the bench in a pinch hitting uh, situation. But I don't really see where that would ever happen. There's really no reason for him to face any Southpaws this year with the depth that the Marlins have in the outfield. Also, mentioning Lewis Brinson, who has not been at camp yet, assuming that he will be able to play this season and that everything is okay with him. That would factor in too. I think you would see a little bit of a competition between him and Monte Harrison with so many games packed into a tight schedule, 60 games in 66 days. I don't think the Marlins will have a problem rotating those players in and out and you know, just going with the hot hand. So it's a good opportunity for the Marlins to see what they have with both Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison. 
Harrison leapfrogged Brinson just because he's been there. That's why I have him in the opening day lineup. But should he struggle, hopefully he doesn't, then Brinson will be waiting to have his opportunity too because the Marlins do need to see what they have in Lewis Brinson. Excited to see what the Marlins have in Lewin Diaz as well. And then you have Harold Ramirez and some other guys on the bench waiting. But the biggest insert into the lineup based on platoons and based on what kind of pitcher you're facing and struggles against right-handers first, whoever in the lineup might be struggling against right-handers at the time. Matt Joyce is going to be that balancer who kind of balances things out against a tough right-hander that really makes the Marlins more flexible with their lineup. But speaking of being flexible, let's talk about the defense because I've seen a lot of questions about this and questions about how the Marlins should handle their defensive alignment. And when you have guys like Garrett Cooper who can play first and outfield, Brian Anderson who can play third and outfield, Jonathan VR who technically can play every position except he doesn't play a single position well, and then some other players that can play all over. My initial, I'll just go through the one through nine of the lineup and then tell you why I have them in that spot. So I already talked about the offensive reasons. So VR in the DH spot. I've seen some people ask questions, you know, like, why does Jonathan VR not have a spot in the field? He's so fast and athletic. I need him. I want to see him out there. And that's an understandable thought. But there's more to being good defensively than just being fast. And VR is a testament to that because he really just does not grade out as even average at any spot in his career really struggles at shortstop defensively, well below average as a shortstop. Second base, he's a little bit better, but not great. I I don't like him at third. And you think maybe you stick him in the outfield, but people don't realize he's only played 64 innings in the outfield, which is absolutely nothing. So when you consider the fact that the Marlins have so many good defensive outfielders with Garrett Cooper, who's right around average in the outfield, Corey Dickerson is a hot and cold case. The fact that he won a gold glove is kind of wild and could stump a lot of people probably, but he's still better than Jonathan VR and is apparently working on trying to be more consistent out there in the outfield. And the fact that he won a gold glove, while it might be a little bit fluky, he did win a gold glove, so he has potential to be very good out there, and I want to see what he can do. And then Monte Harrison, as we know, is a gold glove caliber center fielder who you are not going to keep out of the field. We know what Harrison is capable of offensively, but the reality is is he could hit 250 with 10 bombs in a 162-game season and still be well above the average wins above replacements because he absolutely flies, has a rocket for an arm, takes good routes to the ball, etc., etc. Same with Lewis Brinson, another premier defender out there who, if he's in the lineup, you have to have him in the field. There's never going to be a reason for them to DH unless... They really need a partial day off, but they're swinging the bat really well and Maddenly wants to keep them in the lineup, but I don't really see that happening. So that makes sense for me. VR starts as the DH, and I already teased to this second spot here with Garrett Cooper in right field. Cooper is a big guy, six foot six, but the statistics show that he's actually a better outfielder than he is first baseman. And that's not just a small sample size. He really is better in the outfield than he is at first base. And he's about average in the outfield. I'd say he's slightly above average, three to five defensive runs saved a year, a slightly above average arm, and he takes good routes to the ball. He's efficient. And to me, just going to make the routine catches might surprise you here and there, but he's not going to be a liability out there. And that's really what the Marlins need. VR at times can be a liability, a little bit inconsistent, bad routes, like you saw with Harold Ramirez. I would compare the two 
a bit similar in the outfield in that way with just great speed, but almost nullifying the speed with bad routes and bad reads just because they have not seen enough balls out there. Harold Ramirez, especially in center field, was really struggling with those reads, and that's why he's probably going to be relegated to just being a platoon guy in the corner outfield spots. So Garrett Cooper plays right field as a slightly above average right fielder. That's fine for me. Brian Anderson back at third base. This is where he belongs. Brian Anderson's a phenomenal outfielder, don't get me wrong, but he is a great third baseman as well, well above average. I'd say he's probably a top five defensive third baseman in the game. Uh, You know, he's not going to compare it to Matt Chapman or Nolan Arenado or Anthony Rendon, but he is the next tier and he's right around the five to seven range of best defensive third baseman. I like Brian Anderson a lot. And that's also considering the fact that he's not playing at third base every day. When you're looking at these, the analytics of his defense, it's bouncing back and forth from the outfield to third base. Now you got Brian Anderson consistently getting reps at third base. He's only going to get better. That's why I have him solidified as a top five defensive third baseman. And that'll be great for the Marlins to have a premier defender at a really important spot there. So now you have a premier defender at third base and a premier defender in center field. That is two really important positions. And then Miguel Rojas playing shortstop right next to him, another above average defender. That's a really important spot as well. You got Eisen Diaz at second base, who is also an above average defender. And this is just a really good defensive infield. Jesus Aguilar is a little bit of a liability at first. He's not a problem at all. He's just right about average. Liability might even be a strong word. He's he's pretty average at first base. But Lewin Diaz is a really athletic first baseman. So you put Lewin Diaz at first base for some of these games. Now you're looking at one of the better defensive infields, in my opinion, in the National League. And that kind of bounce me around a little bit here, but that finishes the defensive alignment here with Alfaro, of course, a catcher who is a pretty solid catcher back there. No JT Real Muto, but continues to improve with his receiving. We know how athletic he is and a rocket for an arm, but I love the combo up the middle of Diaz and Rojas, two above average defenders that can move pretty rangy and make all the plays really. And while they're not flashy, they're just smooth. And the two together will be very good up the middle. Pair that with Brian Anderson at third. If you have Lewin Diaz as the most optimal corner infield spots, that is a really good infield, just flat out. Then gold glove caliber center fielder, former gold glove winner in left field, and then an average right fielder. This is a great defense. And that's a defense with pretty much no holes in it, which is the best part. And that's why I think it makes sense to keep VR in the DH spot because you can move things around like this to have a defense that legitimately has no real holes in it besides maybe Jesus Aguilar playing first base, but first base really isn't that much of a vital position in terms of defense as we've seen time and time again. And then if you really want to get fancy, you can put Monte Harrison in center left or right field. You got Lewis Brinson and whoever you decide to put in the other outfield spot in that lineup, that is an insanely good defensive outfield where I don't think you'd see very many balls fall at all. And to me, that makes the most sense defensively with that alignment. Obviously, things change when you start calling guys up or some guys aren't hitting because at the end of the day, no matter how good you are defensively, you you got to 
hold your own weight, pick up your own weight offensively. For some guys, they're so good defensively, like I said with Monte Harrison, that they might not need to carry as much weight at the plate. But at the end of the day, if you're hitting like Lewis Brinson did the last couple years, it doesn't matter how good you are in the field. So this lineup, assuming that all of the players are at least carrying their weight offensively, could be one of the sneaky, better defensive teams in the entire league. And that is not really too crazy to say, especially with Luan Diaz at first base and Alfaro continuing to make strides at catcher. Let me know what you guys think of this defensive alignment, what you agree, disagree with. Happy to answer any questions. Tweet them my way. I'm excited to be coming at you guys with content every single day now. And feel free to interact with me. Let me know what you want me to talk about, especially during the games. You can tweet at me at rmlayton8, at LockedOnMarlins. I'll be watching them, don't you worry. And whether I answer that you know, in the moment or I stow it away for something on the episodes later, I will undoubtedly be doing that. And speaking of, as I wrap up, I do want to answer one question that is from the godfather, Danny himself. Danny asked, you know, when you're handling some of these prospects, do you throw them into the top of the order or do you shield them a little bit and keep them in the bottom third where they're going to see more fastballs and better pitches to hit? I talked about it a little bit earlier. It's a little bit of a case by case type of thing. You know, when you have a more pure hitter, it might not matter as much. Like when JJ Bleday makes his debut, I would throw him right into the top of the order, assuming his hit tool continues to play up. But with the way the Marlins lineup shapes up right now, I think the top of it is pretty solidified, whether you want to mix around those top four guys. VR, Cooper, Anderson, and Dickerson all make sense to be in that top half of the order. So when you're interchanging whatever prospects that might be, if it's Monte Harrison, if it's Lewin Diaz, Lewis Brinson, or Jesus Sanchez, etc., I think all of those guys slot in fine in the 6, 7, 8 range. And that's where they should probably all be when they make their debuts and even when they play throughout the season there, unless they play their way up to the top of the lineup or one of the veterans at the top of the lineup play their way down. But for me, the debut area of the lineup is always going to be right around the 6, 7, 8 range. And I'd be surprised to see anything different. Again, feel free to tweet any questions my way. I'm excited to be watching these games with you guys. Daily content, as I said, coming your way. Really excited and hope everybody is doing well. Please be sure to leave me a rating, review, let me know how I'm doing. And there's some exciting news in the next couple days in terms of some coverage that I will be doing, extending to the entire major leagues. So stay tuned for that. Excited to let you guys know about that as well. Thanks for listening as always, and I'll talk to you all tomorrow.